welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David begins a new sermon series called Walking in Their Shoes with a sermon titled Standing in the Gap. Let's listen. Now when I look at these shoes, I've got to be honest, there's some that I would never wear. I, I mean, I'm looking at these slippers, for instance, and I know this must sound strange, but I, I hate wearing slippers. I mean, they, they make my feet feel suffocated. I, I'm sure that's just a me thing, but these are not shoes that I would wear. Or I look at these roller skates, and I know Bailey's going to get mad at me because these are hers, but I would never wear these. Whenever I roller skate, my ankles hurt, it's uncomfortable, it's not fun for me. Or, in a more serious way, I look at these military boots. These are our chaplain, Henry Haynes' military boots. I have never worn boots like these. That's not a story that I've walked before. And so thinking through the veterans who have served our country, that's not a story that I know. And I want to learn from that sort of story. Or I look at shoes that are more dirty and torn, and it reminds me of immigrants, refugees, people who started in one country and have moved and settled in another country. That's not my story. I grew up in this country. I've always known one language. I struggled through two courses of Spanish in high school, and that's been it. All of these shoes tell different people's stories. And we're going to seek to learn from those throughout this series. Now, I have my own story, and I own that. That's my own personal experience. But I believe that God wants us to understand other people's experiences as well. As I sent out my thoughts from Pastor David on Tuesday, that email that I send out, I got a response from someone in the congregation that has continued to resonate with me as I introduced this series on Tuesday. This person wrote, At our core, we are all human, all God's children. I believe at some level within each of us is a divine spot which can connect with the divine spots in others. If only we could allow the connections to occur. We must be open. How do we open deeply enough to make the divine connections? I mean, that's our goal as Christians, isn't it? To open ourselves up deeply enough to connect with the divine spots in one another, to recognize that all of us, everyone in this room today, is a child of God. And for that reason, we have a shared humanity. Our stories may be different, but at our core, we are the same. Well, this year, there's been so much to divide us and divide our stories, hasn't there? I mean, political party would be the biggest one, although it's also been a person's approach to this pandemic has divided so many people. It could just be who you listen to, or who you agree with more. And so this series is our chance to stop dividing and start building those divine bonds between people, divine bonds of understanding between individuals and groups. Our biblical basis for doing so 
is going to be the prophets. You see, each week, either Pastor Dana or myself will focus on one prophet because the prophets constantly encouraged God's people to speak up for the voiceless in society. And in order to do that, you've got to understand their story. To literally walk in the shoes of those who have been forgotten by their community or society at large. So today's prophet that we are going to begin our study is Ezekiel. Let's learn a little bit about Ezekiel before we dive into the scriptures this morning. So as I said, Ezekiel is a prophet, which means that God spoke through him. That's what it means to be a prophet, that God chose Ezekiel as a mouthpiece, and God was going to speak through his life. There's a common uh, misperception with prophets, that we see the prophets in the Bible, and we think, oh, they're the ones who predict the future. They're almost like fortune tellers, and that's actually not their primary purpose. Sure, from time to time, God tells them what's going to happen, and they share that with everybody else, but that wasn't primarily how God used the prophets. No, primarily, God used the prophets to share about how the world currently was, and then to reveal how God wanted it to be. They often would say, hey, this is what's wrong with this current situation, and then this is how God wants to fix it. This is God's solution. So Ezekiel is a prophet. God is speaking through him. He is 30 years old. So think back to when you were 30 years old, and then imagine walk in the shoes of Ezekiel and what his life might have looked like when he decided to become a prophet. In Jerusalem, you could be commissioned by the temple uh, at the age of 30 to be a prophet. And that is what happened with Ezekiel. Unfortunately, very shortly after this, he was deported to Babylon. Yes, the Babylonians came in and conquered Jerusalem. And they took a large group of people and then deported them back to Babylon. And Ezekiel was one of those people. Ezekiel was happily married, but then unfortunately widowed. Yeah, he speaks in the book of Ezekiel about how deeply he loves his wife. And unfortunately, she was killed during that siege of Jerusalem. So this is a little bit about Ezekiel and the type of shoes that he may have walked in, the type of story that he is telling. So this message then, this message that Ezekiel is going to share is a message that he sends from Babylon back to Jerusalem about who they need to be at that moment in history. Now, what you're going to find out is that the leaders in Jerusalem were heading, setting a horrible example. Yes, they were embezzling from one another. Uh, they were, the people in power were using the, their power to benefit themselves and not others. And so it's into this context that God says, this is what's going wrong, and this is where we need to fix it. In many ways, the leaders of Jerusalem were not walking in anybody else's shoes. They were focused just on how comfortable 
their own pair was. And so Ezekiel is going to give them a stark reminder of what is required of them to represent God on earth. Now, we're going to begin this section in Ezekiel chapter 22, the first couple of verses, and you're going to see that Jerusalem, the people of Jerusalem, were accused of doing a lot of horrible things, and we're not going to really identify with all of those. But the prophets, although harsh, the prophets are an opportunity for us to also do sometimes the uncomfortable work of looking inward, say, well, where am I not stepping up to represent God? I mean, where do I see myself in a little bit of this situation? And so I encourage you, even with the harsh language, to seek to ask those probing questions. All right, here's how his message begins. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 1. Now this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, are you ready to judge Jerusalem? Are you ready to judge this city of murderers? Publicly denounce her detestable sins and give her this message from the sovereign Lord. O city of murderers, doomed and damned, city of idols, filthy and foul, you are guilty because of the blood you have shed. All right, once again, put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes here. He hears from God, and God says, I'm going to ask you to deliver a message to my people. If you're a prophet, how exciting must have that moment been? Oh, I'm hearing from God. And then God says, and this is the message. And Ezekiel goes, isn't there anybody else? Uh, that is not a message that I want to deliver to Jerusalem. My goodness, because God does not hold back in his critique over where they are falling short. God calls them a city of murderers, a city of idols, because they have shed innocent blood. So where he has begun with a general indictment, now God's going to get a little bit more specific. The next verse says, Every leader in Israel who lives within your walls is bent on murder. I don't think I'd like to live in that city. My goodness, God is saying that the people in leadership have failed the people that they are leading. Here are some more examples. The next verse. Fathers and mothers are treated with contempt. Foreigners are forced to pay for protection. Orphans and widows are wronged and oppressed among you. So I want you to notice the three groups here that were abused in some way by the leadership in Jerusalem. The first one were fathers and mothers. Yes, the family system was viewed as second tier in Jerusalem. And that Hebrew word for contempt literally means being swept to the side. So it is as if the concerns of parents and the, the seeking to, to raise children in Jerusalem was simply being swept to the side. The next group was foreigners. Now, how were foreigners mistreated? The example that the scriptures give is that they were forced to pay for protection. I, we commentators are quite divided on what exactly that meant, although to me it kind of sounds like a mob mafia thing being forced to pay for protection. But what we do know is that foreigners 
the, the biblical term for people who lived outside of Jerusalem but had to travel to Jerusalem were often exploited during this time in Jerusalem's history. I want you to imagine going into a different country where you don't speak the language, you don't know the customs, and perhaps you go to the marketplace because uh, you're trying to buy uh, some sacrificial meat for the temple. Well, if the person realizes, oh, you don't speak my language, well, then a disingenuous uh, person could charge double or, or somehow exploit that opportunity. Yeah, we know that many um, foreigners either traveled to Jerusalem to worship or had to flee because of some other war that was going on in the area. And what God's saying is that when they get there, to the city that's supposed to represent God, well, they're being exploited. And then that third group that is highlighted is orphans and widows. That group represents the most vulnerable in society. I mean, these are the people who are most likely to be voiceless, where no one in leadership was willing to step up and represent their interests. Who would that be in our city today, in the Charlotte area today? Would it be the, the poor or those who are living in most extreme poverty or those who are from more underrepresented communities in our area? Would it be immigrants and refugees? In Jerusalem, these groups were wronged and oppressed because they had no one to stand up for them. They had no one to advocate on their behalf. One commentator says, the social disintegration within Jerusalem was reflected first and foremost in the manner in which power was exercised. Yes, power was exercised in a way to support those in power, but abused everybody else. Well, Ezekiel declares that God is now putting an end to this time of abuse in power. How could this whole situation have been avoided? I mean, right now, Ezekiel has provided a laundry list of what this, this group is not doing well. But how could it have been avoided even to begin with? Well, how about by walking in shoes of people who are different than you? I mean, what if the leaders in Jerusalem took the time to imagine what is life like for mothers and fathers, for foreigners, or for orphans and window, widows? What if I walked in their shoes? I mean, what if the leaders of Jerusalem, as they're creating policies and as they're leading their people, thought about how challenging parenting is and how parents need specific resources and helps to assist them in that such important task? Uh, what if they put themselves in the shoes of a foreigner and imagined what would it be like to walk into another country, not speaking the language, not knowing the customs, and how can we support people in that assimilation? What if they put themselves in the shoes of an orphan or a widow and imagined what would it be like to feel like you have no voice in the society and that those in power are not speaking up for your interests? Yes, Ezekiel's words are an invitation for those leaders to walk in the shoes 
of those who are being ignored. So let's apply this to our lives for a moment. Who do you have a really hard time understanding? Is it a a friend or a family member that you just don't see eye to eye with? Or is it that person on Facebook that just posts those memes that are the opposite of what you really think? Is it a group or a selection of people who, who get under your skin because of what they believe and how different it is from you? Our encouragement from the scriptures today is to walk in their shoes. Now, that does not mean adopting their viewpoint, but it does mean that you seek even for a couple moments to see the world through their eyes and to try to experience how they experience the world. Because this will allow you to broaden your understanding of how other people experience the world and then hopefully increase your own empathy for other people's journeys. Okay, we're going to jump ahead just a couple of more verses here. Ezekiel is going to continue to list things they're doing wrong, and then at the end, he offers a solution. And it's that solution that we're really going to focus on. But first, a couple more things they're doing wrong. In verse 27, he says, "'Your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims.'" They actually destroy people's lives for money. And your prophets cover up for them by announcing false visions and making lying predictions. They say, my message is from the sovereign Lord, when the Lord hasn't spoken a single word to them. Even common people oppress the poor, rob the needy, and deprive foreigners of justice. A laundry list of abuses. But what's the solution? Well, the solution that Ezekiel is about to share with us is about a particular type of person. And it's that particular type of person doing a particular thing that makes a difference. And spoiler alert, you and I can be like this particular type of person as well. So here's the solution. Ezekiel goes on, he says, I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the lands. I I search for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so I wouldn't have to destroy the land, but I found no one. Okay, so historically, the city of Jerusalem had large exterior walls um, to protect it from outside attackers or foreign invasion, but Ezekiel is not talking about the physical wall around Jerusalem. No, Ezekiel is talking about the metaphorical wall that he calls the wall of righteousness. Yes, what Ezekiel is saying is that the wall of righteousness that's supposed to be surrounding this city has fallen into disrepair. It's got holes in it. It's got sections that are crumbling. It's not going to keep anybody out. Um, I've got a picture I want to show you of a historical, physical wall, and this sort of wall is meant to keep people out, keep people safe, and you can tell it's crumbling. It's falling into disrepair. That sort of wall would not help anybody. And so what is the solution if this was the wall protecting your city? The solution, Ezekiel says, is to find someone to stand in the gap. 
You see, if there are outside attackers and there are walls in or there are holes in your wall, then the attackers will just use those holes to penetrate into the city, but not if someone physically goes and stands in the gap. If they stand in the gap in those holes, then it's like the wall is complete and nobody is getting through you to invade the city. So that would be the physical, historical way that someone could stand in the gap and defend a city. But if we're not talking about a a real wall, if we're talking about a metaphorical wall, a wall of righteousness, then how does someone stand in the gap if if the walls of righteousness are crumbling? Well, personally, I believe that this is a person who can understand that, okay, there's different groups of people who simply do not understand one another. It's like there's one group of people outside the city and another group of people inside the city, and they just keep lobbing attacks at one another. And a person who can stand in the gap is a person who can stand in between two groups of people and seek common understanding, seek solutions, instead of simply lobbing attacks at one another. Yes, standing in the gap means putting yourself out there to work towards a solution. Now, if that's the definition of standing in the gap, then we need to realize standing in the gap requires accepting some risk if you're going to do that, doesn't it? Because you put yourself out there. You choose to stand out. You're not simply hanging in the background any longer. And there's risk in standing out, isn't there? I mean, when you stand out, you open yourself up to ridicule or critique in some way. But with risk, there's also opportunity. Opportunity for real, lasting change. Standing in the gap requires a willingness to step forward and fix a problem even at risk to your own reputation. So in our world today, what issues do you see that require people to come forward and stand in the gap? What groups of people are underrepresented or are not having their voices heard? Stand in the gap. Where can you uniquely bridge the divide between either two individuals or two groups of people? Stand in the gap. What person do you know in your specific community that is being overlooked? Stand in the gap. And where is God asking you to get involved in something meaningful, even at personal risk to yourself? Stand in the gap. The sad part of this historical story is that God couldn't find anyone in Jerusalem who is willing to expose themselves and their reputation to stand in the gap of the wall of righteousness. But I'm confident that that's not going to be a problem for the people of Unity Presbyterian Church, because as we explore these stories, and as we put ourselves in other people's shoes, there will be opportunities to come forward and to stand in the gap of understanding. And I believe that we can do it. Amen. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, 
please visit our website at www.unitypress.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.